God, we thank you today for the opportunity to continue now to, to worship you by looking into your word. We have we've acknowledged the fact uh, through our singing that, that your goodness is available to us um, and we can live in, in the goodness that you provide for us. And we thank you today for the goodness of God. And once again, as we open your word now, I pray that that would just... Uh, come alive to us, that, that your goodness would just uh, overwhelm us and uh, take us to where you want to take us through the power of your word and through the application of your word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if I were to ask you today to uh, describe for me or say for me uh, the the smartest three-word phrase that you could think of uh, for our world today and for your life today. What would you say? Um, I think I would have to say that uh, the, the, the smartest words I could ever say is, um, I need help. I need help. Um, you and I were not made to walk through this journey of life alone. Oh. Uh, we need help as we navigate this, this journey. Uh, yesterday, uh, our family celebrated the uh, first birthday of our granddaughter. Uh, and even with masks and social distancing and limited touching and necessary precautions, the celebration was filled with excitement, uh, joy, laughter, love, uh, and hope. Um, Perry is a precious gift from God. And so are you. Perry has to learn that she cannot navigate through this life alone. She, she has to have help. And so do you. There, this is a great season. In fact, I don't know that there, there's ever been a greater season to be alive on earth than, than, than right now. God has put us here for a purpose and as we look at Psalm 59 today, I want to challenge you to look at the purpose that God has for you being here right now in this time, in this place, in history. And like David, uh, we have to understand as we look at our times, evaluate our times, that, that we live in painful times today. And that was the case for David. That was real life for him, just as that is real life for us today. So if you're like me, uh, you may be a little bit tired of talking about disease and pain and death and unrest that's going on in our country and around our world today. But that's what makes this the perfect time for us to be alive. David ran and hid and fought for his life, and he turned to his faithful refuge in his greatest time of distress. God had a big purpose for David. In fact, he had a bigger purpose for David than the time that David was struggling. And God used the stressful times that David was experiencing as he wrote this song to sharpen David's faith and sharpen David's trust for a greater assignment that, that, that God had in store for David's life. And through this season, David learned the irreplaceable lesson 
That faith and trust in God pays off, and you can learn that lesson today as well. Like David, there's a source for hopeful help during this season. And we're going to discover the source of help for you and me through this season today. And then whether or not you choose to access that source is up to you. Psalm 59 is a song written by David, remembering a season in his life when he was under attack for um, running from his father-in-law, King Saul. The backstory is found for us in 1 Samuel chapter 19. You can go and read that, and you'll find that uh, King Saul, the very first king in Israel's history, had become jealous and wanted David dead. A few years earlier, David had defeated Goliath, the giant, and had saved the reputation of Israel. And in response to that great act that David accomplished, Saul gave David his daughter, Michal, as his wife. And then God used her to help David escape from the wrath of her father in the context of this psalm. Everyone on planet Earth needs help. We were not created to survive this life alone. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how poor you are. We all need help. I love Psalm 59 because it's raw and it's weighty. And like all of God's Word... It is most relevant for where we live today. So look at it with me as I read Psalm 59 aloud. You follow along with me. And if you're comfortable, if, if you have the opportunity and can do that, I would like to ask you just to read this psalm out loud, aloud with me today, along with me today. Psalm 59. To the choir master, according to Do Not dis Destroy, a victim of David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O oh my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, or God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Selah. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love, will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. 
For the sin of their mouths, the word of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. My mom taught me when I was very young that where God guides, God provides. And we have a great example of that truth today. This psalm reveals three areas where God provided help for David. And he also provides that same kind of help for you and me today. So let's look at it. First of all, God provides help physically. We see that in verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 59. David cried to God for physical help. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. He says, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. David gave an SOS call, an emergency call to God in this particular life-threatening situation that he found himself. He didn't run away from his fear. He ran away from his trouble. There's a big difference in the two. Evil people were out to kill David, and that included the most powerful man on earth, King Saul. There had been a time not too far in the not too far distant past where uh, David had pulled out his slingshot and uh, and had taken out the giant Goliath. But this time was different. So how do you know when to stand and fight and when to run and hide. I mean, many of us find ourselves in that same situation today, even with our corporate worship experiences. We don't, we don't know when it's safe to come back together and, and worship, or, or when we should stay isolated and secluded and, uh, and not present uh, a danger to other people by being around them in close proximity like we are uh, in worship. But this prayer revealed the secret of the answer to that for David. David said, God, deliver me, protect me, save me. See, those prayers for physical survival for David hinged on his personal relationship with God. He knew God. He walked with God. His life was a life of integrity before God. And so when this time of struggle came for David, he naturally turned to God in prayer. These prayers for physical survival literally hinged 
on the personal relationship that David had with God. Look at verse 3. He said, Behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. It was like David was just opening up his life before God. And he was pleading his integrity on behalf of God. He said, God, I'm an open book. You come and you see. You look into my life and you will see that I have done nothing wrong. See, David's plea was based on his innocence and his integrity and his holiness in his walk with God. Not that he was perfect, not that he was sinless, but he was an open book before God. And he invited God into his pain. He prayed for God to check his motives as well as checking his actions. And his prayer for physical help was based on the physical actions of his life of integrity before God. See, when you live like that when times are going good... When you live like that, when there is no real stress on your life, and you're walking with God in integrity in those low-stress times of life, it really pays off when, when things get tough. When the rug starts being pulled out from under you, when uh, things start crashing down upon you. And that was David's secret. When, when your life is aligned with God... He directs the little decisions that you make, and He directs the big decisions that you make. And so in verse 5, David prays, You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Selah. In dealing with these physical attacks, David gave tribute to the different names of God. In other words, he knew God so well that he appealed to God based on the integrity of God. And the integrity of God is represented in these names that David used to refer to God. See, he had that living, intimate relationship with the true and living God, and it paid off at this particular time in his life. He cried for the character of God to be applied to his life. Look at it. He says the first word he uses uh, in verse 5 is Lord. This is the holiest name for God. It revealed that God was the true master of David's life. There was no higher priority in his life than honoring and loving and allowing God to direct his life. That's what Lord means. He was the director of his life. And then he uses the term, secondly, God of hosts. This appeal to the, the might of God, the God who fights our battles for us. Uh, some translators translate this, translates this, the, the, the God of angel armies. It's the, it's the battling kind of name for God. David knew when to fight, and he knew when to let God fight for him. And I trust you know that as well. 
And then the third name he uses to describe God in verse 5 is God of Israel. This revealed a very personal relationship that God had not only with David, but for the nation Israel. God had set Israel aside for no other reason other than the fact that God wanted to. He set them aside to be an example for him. And David knew by using this name for God, the, the God of Israel, that the integrity of God was being called into question and needed to be defended. And so David knew that he was favored, that he was anointed, that he was empowered by God, and so he trusted God physically. We need help physically, don't we? And physical blessing and the blessings of God that come by way of physical blessings are accompanied by physical integrity that God pours into our life. About 350 years after David lived, Israel had failed to follow God. They had rebelled against God, and, and the, leaders, the leadership of Israel had taken them down a road that was dark and far away from God, and consequently they had fallen into captivity. There was a man who was a captive, who was a captain of the guards, who was a, a food taster for the king of Persia. His name was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was so closely in touch with the heart of God that when the report came that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down and the gates had been burned down, that it broke his heart. And so he appealed to God and then appealed to the king to allow, uh, allow him to go back and rebuild the wall and rebuild the gates of God's chosen city, Jerusalem. And God allowed him to do that. God allowed Nehemiah to step up and rebuild the walls, even in the midst of insurmountable ob obstacles and dangerous enemy threats. Constantly, if you read the book of Nehemiah, you see that threats were constantly coming against him. But he trusted God physically because he was favored. He was anointed. He was empowered by God the same way David was. Then 450 years after Nehemiah, God sent Jesus to show us how to live and how to love and basically to be saved. And God knew then and he knows now that we need help. And Jesus demonstrated how to live physically above reproach, even under attack. Jesus was favored. Jesus was anointed. Jesus was empowered by God. And in Jesus, we can find help emotionally and physically to provide everything we need because God wants to place upon your life as he places upon my life favor and anointing and empowerment when we come to know God through Jesus, that takes a personal, intimate relationship with God. The writer of a song we often sing wrote these words, And should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me both now and forever. 
See, there's no such thing as a life without pain. And Jesus Christ demonstrated for that for us when he went through the greatest pain that any human being could ever suffer. He went to the cross and he provided for you and me what we cannot provide for ourselves. And that provision was made for us through his suffering. God provides help physically when we walk through pain, just like he provided help for Jesus. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes God is glorified greatest by delivering us physically from our enemies. But other times, God is glorified greatest by walking with us in the face of the enemy through the pain that we suffer. And there's no greater example for that than Jesus Christ himself. And so either way, we know God is glorified. And either way, we know that we win when we trust him for our physical help. But physical help is not only the kind of help that God provides. God also provides for us help emotionally. God provides help emotionally. We see that in verses 6 through 13. David cried to God for emotional help. See, David was at his wit's end emotionally. Look at the expression of his emotions here in verse 6. He says, each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they say, will hear us? David was going through a season in his life when he was afraid, he was angry, he was frustrated, he was bitter, and he was even depressed. And the picture in his mind was nagging sounds of dogs howling. The tape was being played over and over constantly in his mind. He couldn't block the life threats out of his mind. Closing his eyes, he saw the enemies that he had in his mind. He heard these sounds of dogs, or some translations translate it, uh, coyotes, uh, just barking repeatedly in his ears. That's what emotional pain does to us. Emotional pain is totally unsettling to life because those tapes keep playing over and over in our mind. When we close our eyes to sleep at night, those sights keep coming up over and over and over in our mind. I, I bet you've been there over the last few months. I bet those emotions that threaten your peace has constantly been on your mind and in your dreams. See, it's one thing to be physically spent. But to be physically and emotionally spent is almost more than we can bear, isn't it? Howling, prowling, nagging, threatening sights and sounds just wear the life right out of a person. So what do you do? What do you do when these sounds and these sights 
perpetually are playing over and over and over in your mind and in your dreams. Well, I would recommend you do like David. Look at what he did. Follow his example. David was confident that his enemies would not succeed. He affirmed that it is absurd to oppose God. If God is for us, who can be against us was kind of the the mindset of David. And so David called on God to protect him both physically and emotionally. And he asked God to tenderly care for him while he was being attacked. Look at verse 8. He said, but you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. See, we may be intimidated by the world. We may be intimidated by the pressures that are caving in on us in this world. But God is not. He's never intimidated. He's never surprised. Timothy Keller writes in his book, The Songs of Jesus, and I quote, God laughs at all forces that oppose him. Yet God's laughter is not the whole story. While he is not impressed by sinful rebellion... He is not indifferent to it. See, sin causes God grief. If you look back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6, here's what the Bible says, And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him in His heart. This was in the time of Noah when mankind had totally rebelled against everything good and everything godly except for Noah. And God was grieved. God looked on the evil in the world and his heart was deeply troubled. His heart was grieved because of sin. God's heart is so closely tied to your heart that when you sin, his heart breaks. His heart grieves. Jesus expressed this same kind of emotion in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. The Bible says, And when he drew near and saw the city, talking about Jerusalem, he wept over it. Why? See, Jesus had compassion for people. And he saw that people were living in sin and people were being abused by other people and it it broke his heart it grieved his heart furthermore we see Jesus later literally dying on the cross shedding his blood for the payment for the penalty of sin That's how much he hates sin. He knows the cost, the consequence of sin, that it separates from God, that it causes deep emotional pain in the lives of people. And in his grief, he paid the ultimate sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross for our sin. See, the first step to emotional health is taking sin seriously and repenting from it. And once you're living free from the guilt of sin, you can pray a prayer like David prayed in verse 9. Look at it. He says, Oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God, in his steadfast love, 
will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. David turns as he has done in the last four or five Psalms, oftentimes he turned toward preaching to himself right in the middle of his prayer, saying that he knew that his refuge was in the steadfast love of God. He knew that his emotional strength could be restored by his repentant heart and close walk with God. In contrast to the snarling, howling dogs and the, the songs that were playing in his mind, he began to praise God in the overflow of his heart of worship. They're still under attack. The dogs are still howling. But he praises God in his heart for being his fortress and his refuge. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Is a line from Augustus Top Lady's favorite, famous hymn that has been sung so many times through the centuries. See, Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is the place where we can run when we are under any kind of attack. And we can hide in him. Jesus was cleft. That means split apart to make a hiding place for us, to give us a refuge, a place to hide when we're being pursued by enemies, both physically and emotionally. And David affirmed his confidence in God, but then he returned to his precatory revengeance kind of attitude he prayed for God to spare the lives of his enemies so they would be a testimony of humiliation in the world. Look at it in verse 11. He says, Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and lies that they utter. Consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. An imprecatory kind of spirit flows from the heart of David, even after acknowledging that God is in control of the situation. So what justifies this kind of precatory vengeance in a prayer. When is it appropriate for you and me to pray a prayer like this? Well, I believe that it's when the motive of your heart is right. See, God's honor was at stake here, and David knew that. He knew that he had personally done absolutely nothing wrong to deserve the situation that he was in. In fact, he had gone overboard to show his allegiance to King Saul. And yet his prayer was harsh because the honor of God was at stake. His motive was to defend the honor of God and the calling that God had placed upon his life. For every decision you make in life, just like me, for every decision I make in life, there's a motive behind that decision. And our motive can come from at least two different sources. 
Much of our emotional health will depend on the motive that we have behind the prayer and behind every action that we take. So is your motive to glorify yourself and benefit yourself? That's one option. Or is your motive to give glory to God and to benefit the glory of God? That's a totally different motive. David needed help emotionally and he appealed to God on behalf of the glory of God, on behalf of the reputation of God. He said, God, just take your time dealing vengeance in the life of these people because they need to be a testimony of what it looks like to offend the true and living God. Recovery experts tell us that when we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, we, we need to call on someone who is very dependable, very trustworthy in our life and share with them what we're feeling, share with them our emotion. These conditions, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, two of them are physical and two of them are emotional. Hungry and tired are physical. Angry and lonely are emotional kinds of states. And I'll bet many of you may have one or more of, uh, of these emotions churning in your life right now. So I want to challenge you. If you're facing emotional stress from being lonely or tired, being angry or lonely, if you're facing physical stress from being hungry or, or, or tired, I want to challenge you to call on Jesus because he's there to give you emotional strength. He's the best friend that you could have to call on. But you also may need to call on someone with, with, with skin on as well. You need to have brothers or sisters in Christ that are close to you that you can call out to in your time of emotional distress. That's a good thing to do. David not only depended on God, he also depended on the help of human beings like his wife. You may need to call out to a trusted doctor. There's nothing wrong with calling for the help of a doctor when you need medical help and attention and emotionally you're spent or physically you're spent. Don't hesitate to call on helpers that God may be putting into your life to build a foundation for your emotional health and your emotional strength. But I also challenge you not to leave out Jesus because he's there to give you hope and to give you help in your greatest time of need. So God provides help physically. He provides help emotionally. God also provides help spiritually. And we see that in verses 14 through 17. David cried to God for spiritual help. See, David's enemies were relentless. I mean, they were coming after him. They wouldn't go away. Saul and his faithful supporters hounded David. They would not go away. I, I bet there have been times that you have felt like frustration, physical draining or emotional draining is ready to take you out as well. In verse 14, David says, 
each evening. They come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city, just like in, in verse 6. In verse 15, he says, they wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. See, David lived in reality. He knew that the enemy was continuing to come after him. And I want to challenge you and me today to follow that same prescription. To live in reality, not check out and live in a dream world, but live in the reality of the situation that's going on around us. Are you willing to accept the challenge of our day and admit that you need help? Look at what David did. David admitted that he had a need. He admitted his need. He accepted help. His, his wife said, you got to get out of here. And so he did. He, he got out of there. He anticipated the strength of his enemy. Fear and anger and frustration and bitterness were appropriate. And the appropriate reaction was not to pull out the slingshot and sword and go to war and fight but rather to retreat and run and hide. And he advanced by worshiping God. He took his next step in life, though emotionally and physically he was being hounded, he was being drained. He took that next step in life by turning to God in worship. David celebrated in victorious worship, even while he was being pursued, knowing that God was there to be his strength. David said in verse 16, look at it, he said, But I will sing of your strength, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. What does your worship look like when you are in distress? What does your worship look like when you are frustrated, when you are being beaten down emotionally and maybe even beaten down physically? How are you experiencing worship right now? It, it may be different from what we were doing a year ago or five years ago, but how are you experiencing worship right now? I want to encourage you to follow the path of David. Praise God in your spirit. Praise God for his power. Praise God for his surprising love. Praise God for his forgiveness. Praise God out loud. Just let it rip. Just praise God wherever you are, whatever condition you're in. And when you praise God, even in a downcast kind of condition of life, I think you will find that God will come alongside of you and God will minister to you in your greatest time of need. That's what David did. And that's what I challenge you to follow me in doing today as well. See, thousands of true believers... And I mean true believers through the centuries have been burned at the stake, have been nailed on a cross, have been beheaded, 
had been shot to death, killed in all kinds of different ways. At the same time, while their life is flowing out of them, they worship God in spirit and in truth. There's some kind of transcendent power to worshiping God. And if you've never experienced that, I pray that you'll use these conditions and this time and this day to find how to worship God regardless of the circumstances around us. Show your love to God and live in victorious praise just like David did. In our weekly Bible study this week, I ask our staff members to sum up the chorus in verses 16 and 17 with one word. If they could just use one word to sum up this passage, what one word would that be? Why don't you take a second and try to do that? From verses 16 and 17, what would your one word be? Here are some of the words that our staff members use. Protection, salvation, prayer, gratitude, confidence, restored, worship, refuge. See, David knew that God was a shelter. God was an anchor. God was a trustworthy refuge that he could count on. And he called on God for physical and emotional and spiritual help. I need help. Maybe the most important words that you could utter today. And I pray that you will call on God to help in your greatest time of need. Make sure, first of all, that you know him. Help is always there for those who know and trust God. It may not look exactly like we want it to, but it'll be there. It'll be there. God may be wanting to rescue you as he did David. Last Sunday, I preached a funeral service for a dear Christian friend. I told his family and many lost friends who were sitting in the audience that if they wanted to see Richard again, they needed to come to know God personally through Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. If they ever wanted to see him again, because Richard is with Jesus today, the way to see Richard and the way to spend eternity with Jesus and with God is coming to God coming to know God, coming to trust God through Jesus. You may need to make that same kind of decision today, and I trust if you've never done that, that you will come to make that decision to know Jesus by simply admitting that you are a sinner and understanding that your sin separates you from God and believing that Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and died on that cross to shed his blood to pay the price for the penalty of your sin. And that today you trust Him, receive Him, make Him your Savior, and make Him your Lord by committing your life to Him. Will you do that today? See, you and I will meet Jesus one day. 
please don't let it be too late. Jesus is either going to be your Savior or He's going to be your judge. And I pray and trust that you will put your life in His hands today because He is a trustworthy refuge. He's a shelter that you can count on. Not only does God want to rescue you and save you, God wants to use you. God used Saul's daughter, David's wife, to rescue him. And he might want to use you. I mean, what would it look like for God to use you today to rescue somebody in your family or to rescue somebody who's in your neighborhood or a friend of yours who's far from God? And because you allow God to rescue you, He could use you to rescue somebody else. See, before you give help to somebody else, though, you have to receive help from God. Again, in verse 16, in verse 17, David says, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praise to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. Do you know him? Won't you put your trust in Him today? Because where God guides, God provides. Look at these three application points today. They're very simple and come straight from the text. Number one, God provides physical help when we trust Him. We have to put our physical trust in Him. You're trusting something or you're trusting someone to guide you through life. Why not put your help in the greatest source of strength? Put your trust in God. Your greatest hope is to trust the one who died for you. And that's Jesus. Secondly, God provides emotional help when we cry out. Sights and sounds may be hounding you today just like they were David. The last week of Jesus' life on earth Here's what is recorded about him in John chapter 14 and verse 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus wants to give you his peace to navigate these stormy times today. And thirdly, and finally, God provides spiritual help when we worship. When we open up our lives in praise and honor and glory and show Him the devotion of our heart, show Him the love of our heart, regardless of our situation. So what are you waiting for?